this meeting of the San Leandro City Council to order. We've got a work session today. It's Monday, January the 8th, 2024 to 7.01. And I will lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. At this point in time, uh, would you please take the roll, Madam Clerk? Councilmember Aguilar? Present. Councilmember Azevedo? Present. Councilmember Ballou? Present. Councilmember Bowen? Vice Mayor Simon? Present. Mayor Gonzalez? Present. All members are here? Would you please read your announcement at this point in time? Yes. If you wish to speak during public comment and are attending the meeting in person, please fill out a speaker card and hand it to the city clerk before the item is heard. As a reminder, per the published city council agenda for this meeting, nope, never mind, there is not. Um, okay, so ignore that. To participate in public comment via Zoom, when the item is called, use the raise your hand tool or press star nine if calling from a phone. Public comment will be taken from those participating in person first, then on Zoom. Speakers will be invited to speak. You will have two minutes to speak and a countdown timer will appear for your convenience. When the time is up, the microphone will be muted. To avoid confusion before public comment for each item, all hands raised will be lowered. Once public comment, once public comment is opened, hands may be raised to speak. Thank you. So at this point in time, we will take an announcement from Councilmember Aguilar. Thank you, Mayor Gonzalez. I need to attend to the Brown Act's emergency circumstance exception because of my recovery from a recent medical condition that required hospitalization. I will entertain a motion to allow this to happen. Uh, I've got uh, Councilmember Ballou and Councilmember Aguilar. I'm sorry, Azevedo. Second. So I've got a motion by Councilmember Ballou, a second from Councilmember Azevedo. Is there any desire to discuss? Seeing none, let's vote. Councilmember Aguilar, your vote, please. Aye. Councilmember Aguilar, yes. Councilmember Azevedo, yes. Councilmember Ballou, yes. Councilmember Bowen, yes. Vice Mayor Simon, yes. And Mayor Gonzalez, yes. Motion passes six to zero. Okay, so at this point in time, I'm going to call on the city manager to make an announcement regarding our closed session. Mayor, city attorney. City attorney. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, attorney, indeed. Thank you, Mayor. This is city attorney. I uh, just wanted to report that there was a reportable action taken in closed session on item 4B uh, related to the initiation of litigation. Uh, the council voted uh, motion by Councilmember uh, Bowen, seconded by Councilmember Simon. A unanimous vote to initiate litigation against the Superior Court in Alameda County, California. That concludes my reportable action. Thank you for that announcement. At this point in time, we'll move to item number three, presentations. We are discussing today our legislative platform, and I know that we've got, uh, we've got Mr. Engelbart who's going to introduce the item, and I believe we have Ms. Cavino who will be our first presenter after the introduction. 
Great. Uh, good evening, Mayor and Council, members of the public joining us tonight, either here in person or online. Um, before we invite uh, Jen and Nicola to speak tonight, just take a few moments to reintroduce them to you all. Uh, as you know, Jen Covino is, now, is the president of Camino, Smith & Simon, formerly known as Simon & Company. And she serves as our federal advocate and, and will be joining us tonight from Washington, D.C. to present our annual federal legislative update. Following Jen's presentation, we'll hear from Nico, Nicolo DeLuca from Townsend Public Affairs, who serves as our state advocate in Sacramento. <clears throat> Both Jen and Nicolo have served for many years as our city's you know, boots on the ground, for lack of a better term, in Washington, D.C. and Sacramento, respectively, to ensure that our community's interests are given voice in both federal and state affairs. Similar to past practice included on our agenda packet tonight and available for viewing by the public as well, we've included our draft federal and state legislative platforms for which we're also asking for your feedback and input. And then we'll return at a subsequent meeting uh, with the, any edits that you may like to see as part of the consent calendar packet. And, and lastly, just given the sheer breadth and of the topics and issues identified in both of these platforms, um, to the extent there are any specific projects or funding requests that the council considers to be its top priorities for advocacy this year, that would be helpful information for us at the staff level. As you recall, last year, the Nimitz Hotel acquisition project was identified by you all as, as our, the community, as our city's highest priority project. And that feedback was, was very helpful to staff as we work to achieve that $9 million project home key funding award that was announced earlier this year. And lastly, just to, to optimize our efficiency of the meeting tonight, we would just ask that we allow, um, with, your, with your concurrence, to allow both Jen and Nicolo to conclude their brief presentations and then ask any questions or clarification or feedback after they're both done. Please and proceed that way. If that were, if, yeah, with the mayor's book. And, and with that, I'll now hand things off to Jen, who's online. Hey, good evening to the mayor, council, city manager, and city staff. Thank you so much uh, for allowing me to take the time to provide a briefing on federal developments for you this evening. And if we move on to the next slide, as you know, we are heading into the final year of President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris's term serving in the White House. As you know, President Biden and Vice President Harris will be running for a second term as we enter this presidential election year. And the president enters uh, this election cycle with approval ratings of around 39%, um, which are lower than, than historic averages that we've seen with recent presidencies. But they will uh, have legislative accomplishments to tout. And in a moment, I'd like to review some of the implementation efforts that the Biden-Harris administration uh, has been leading over the past three years and heading into the final uh, 12 months of, of its term here. As you know, with any election cycle, we typically see uh, some transition throughout the administration. And so we have now had um, some, some high level departures. That includes uh, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh leaving and Julie Sue from California becoming acting secretary of the Labor Department. Over in the White House Office of Intergovernmental Affairs, uh, the, the former director of the office who many of you may have met over the years, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, has actually departed the office to become uh, Biden's campaign manager, which is probably the first time we've seen someone move from the IGA post of the White House over to the campaign side. So uh, now we have Tom Perez, who is a, a veteran of, of affairs within the Beltway, 
leading the Office of Intergovernmental Affairs. And we've had a lot of transition throughout the staff there. So please, if you're uh, ever in need of outreach to IGA, please make it known because we'll make sure that you're put in touch with the right folks. We do expect another uh, wave of departures here in the months ahead. Uh, as you may have heard earlier today, Mitch Landrew, who served as uh, the president's infrastructure czar, announced his departure today. Again, moving over to the campaign side, if we can move on to the next slide. And so over the past few years, uh, it's been heartening to be able to work uh, with the city and, and the staff on implementation efforts, particularly those relating to the American Rescue Plan Act. And I know that the city's far along in its uh, planned uh, obligations and expenditures, but I did just wanna remind you all of the fact that when it comes to the state and local fiscal recovery funds, those are your direct dollars you received, you received from uh, the federal government, US Department of Treasury. Uh, we do have obligation deadlines on the horizon. December 31st, 2024 uh, is the obligation deadline uh, for most of the funds, except for projects that are either considered a surface transportation project or a Title I eligible CDBG use uh, category. Those funds must be expended by September 30th, 2026. Of course, you have your obligation deadline of December 31st of this calendar year, and then the expenditure deadline is December 31st of 2026. So we've got another two years ahead of us thereafter this initial deadline. I did want to note that the U.S. Department of Treasury has issued an interim, um, uh, interim final rule amending the definition of an obligation uh, at the end of the year last year. There was a public comment period, and I will say there were some benefits to the amended definition of obligation, particularly the fact that uh, that obligations were clarified to not apply to subrecipient awards. An obligation would be considered a, a incurred once a recipient enters into any sub-award. So that's helpful. However, there were some limitations and the National League of Cities and National Association of Counties have gone on record recently, voicing some concerns regarding fund obligations, payroll cost definitions and expenditure estimate requirements. So we would just encourage the council and city staff uh, to review that interim final rule. And we'll be sure to make you aware once a final version of that rule is published. Moving on to other legislation that uh, the administration has been hard at work implementing, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act was uh, a congressional uh, compromise focused on public safety that was enacted last year. Uh, it, it importantly clarified the definition of who is engaged in the business of dealing in firearms uh, to clarify that a person doing so has the intent to predominantly earn a profit. In publishing uh, a proposed regulation, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms uh, has recently clarified who must register as a federally licensed firearms dealer and would therefore need to conduct background checks on gun sales. The public comment period on that proposed rule just concluded, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives will release the final rule sometime this year. But given the city's stance on uh, efforts to address gun violence, I thought this uh, proposed rule might be of interest to the council. Moving on to the Chips and Science Act, the U.S. Department of Commerce has largely led the implementation efforts on behalf of the administration. This new law provides resources to boost American semiconductor research, development, and production to ensure that America remains conduct, uh, a leader 
in in uh, this technology across the globe. It includes $39 billion worth of manufacturing incentives. And what I will offer is that we've largely seen an emphasis on the private sector taking a lead uh, in applying for these funds. However, with some of the programs, there there is a role for local governments. So please, if you have any interest in economic development initiatives uh, in support of semiconductor research, development, or production, please be sure to make it known to me over the months ahead, and I'll be sure to, to walk you through any programs that could be of interest either to your private sector partners, universities, et cetera, and how the, the city can be helpful uh, in, in seeking out any resources to support those efforts locally. Moving on to the next slide, as you all know and have heard so much about over the past two years, the bipartisan infrastructure law, we're now entering into the third cycle of grant programs uh, that are there to support uh, and help modernize your local infrastructure, including uh, transportation, energy, uh, facilities, and so on. I know that I've spoken with uh, both the mayor and several council members over the past several months about some grant opportunities that might be of interest. I'd like to note that the U.S. Department of Transportation has reached out uh, to local officials at various events to indicate that some of these programs are actually undersubscribed although the majority of them are well oversubscribed and highly competitive. And uh, over the past uh, few years, we've seen your, your partners at the Alameda County Transportation Commission apply and succeed uh, in securing funds that are authorized by the bipartisan infrastructure law to carry out uh, uh, regional uh, projects, including uh, real separation projects at grade crossings as part of their RCEP programming. And so, uh, as we go forward here, I did want to note the Safe Streets and Roads for All program, which is intended to support the development and then implementation of Vision Zero uh, plans at the local level, has been undersubscribed in planning, although I know that the city has uh, recently received uh, an earmark with the help of Congresswoman Barbara Lee uh, to undertake some, some planning and construction related to your needs on Vision Zero, but it remains an opportunity that is accessible for cities. So just wanna alert you to that ongoing assistance that's available. Of course, you know the U.S. Department of Transportation is hard at work administering other uh, key programs, including the RAISE grant program and several other newly authorized programs. So we're happy, as always, to revisit any um, opportunities for the city to apply directly for funding. Moving on to the Inflation Reduction Act, I did want to uh, just stress the importance of some new provisions uh, to support uh, the implementation of clean energy projects across the United States in the provision known as direct pay. Uh, direct pay is, is a new provision authorized by the IRA, which will allow units of local government and other tax-exempt entities to receive a payment equal to the value of new or expanded tax credits that were authorized by the law for a variety of different clean energy projects. There are a number of eligible incentives and the White House is really trying its best to engage units of local government who may not be aware of this new tool. Um, depending on the tax credit, uh, you know, the, the city can receive reimbursement for projects that it was likely to undertake anyways. Uh, there are a dozen different uh, credits that may be accessible to you. That includes the Renewable Energy Production Credit, the Clean Electricity Production Credit, uh, Clean Electricity Investment Credit, 
and the commercial clean vehicles tax credit. So uh, that's just a, a few of the, the credits that are accessible to you all. Uh, the, the IRS just released guidance for units of local government to pre-register uh, with the pre-filing registration uh, if you are interested in, in seeking out any of these taxes when you would submit your tax return, which again, for most cities, uh, that's not a traditional annual undertaking, but I would definitely recommend that the city's administrators are aware that these resources are out there to help support uh, some of your clean energy initiatives. Moving on to the next slide, in uh, shifting gears over to Capitol Hill. Now, even in the time since I, I sent this presentation, we've had more news. Uh, just as of, you know, about a week ago, we entered the second session of the 118th Congress with a Republican majority of 221 to 213 votes. Uh, since then, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy has officially vacated his seat and Congressman Bill Johnson of Ohio has announced his resignation effective later this month, which will leave uh, the Republican majority with only two votes, um, you know, above the, the majority line as we navigate the rest of what will certainly become a complicated session. As you likely have heard, Speaker uh, Mike Johnson was elected after a 22-day process following the ouster of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Speaker Johnson then pursued uh, sort of the same legislative remedy on the budget, a two-step continuing resolution that yielded some dismay from the same far-right faction that uh, that really facilitated the ouster of former Speaker McCarthy. And so Speaker Johnson enters this leadership role without having served in leadership in the past. And so uh, it will be interesting to watch his ability to govern the House with such a slim majority and the fact that we still have the existence of the motion of vacate the speakership going forward for him to contend with. Moving on to the next slide, Senate. As you know, it's a 51-49 Democratic majority because the three independent members uh, caucus with the Democrats and Majority Leader Schumer has some demonstrated track record being able to navigate uh, essential le legislative business with his narrow majority, largely because Vice President Harris has been available to, to tie break any votes um, that, that land along party lines. And so, you know, we're going to be seeing over the days ahead um, Speaker Johnson and, and uh, Leader Schumer's emerging relationship. And it's heartening that over the weekend, they were able to announce a compromise deal on the budget moving forward that I'll revisit in a second. On to the next slide. You'll note there's been some substantial change with our congressional delegation over the past year. Uh, senator Padilla remains our constant for the time being, becoming the senior senator for the state of California, currently serving a six-year term through 2028. As you know, Senator Feinstein sadly passed away this year, and I just want to acknowledge her uh, steadfast championship on behalf of local governments, having been mayor of San Francisco herself. As you know, Senator Butler was appointed at the end of the year, and she's announced her decision to not seek re-election or election, sorry, in 2024. Your Congresswoman Barbara Lee has announced her intent to seek Senator Feinstein's seat here in 2024, uh, and a primary will be held for the House seat she is vacating on March 5th. A general election will be held on November 5th, 
And so, of course, we are anticipating a lot of change with your congressional delegation, and we're looking forward to working with uh, new members as we go forward here in the year ahead. Moving on to the next slide, in terms of the, the landscape of Capitol Hill right now, as you know, we're about midway through fiscal year 2024, and we don't have a resolution on the full year budget yet. We're currently operating under a two-step continuing resolution, and we have deadlines immediately before us on the horizon here. Looking ahead, uh, the first four bills that uh, have been extended through January 19th are the Agriculture Bill, the Energy and Water Development Bill, Military Construction Veterans Affairs Bill, and Transportation and Housing and Urban Development. Those will all expire on January 19th, absent some congressional action. Finally, the remaining eight spending bills have been extended through February 2nd. That includes commerce, defense, financial services, homeland security, interior and environment, labor, health and human services and education, legislative branch and state. And so uh, the basically the House Republican leadership wanted to approach this, this stopgap in a laddered way to avoid any year-end deadlines at the end of 2023. But now, of course, they're coming back to D.C. and they have very few days uh, to reach a bicameral agreement in terms of top-line spending for each individual spending bill. Now, over the weekend, President Biden and Speaker Johnson and Leader Schumer announced an agreement on overall top-line funding levels for fiscal year 2024, including $773 billion for non-defense discretionary spending and $886 billion for defense discretionary spending. Again, that does not prescribe top-line spending across each of the 12 different annual spending bills, so Congress now has to get to work coming up with compromise agreements for each spending bill. I would just call your attention to the Fiscal Responsibility Act, that's also known as the debt ceiling deal, that was agreed to by the White House and former Speaker Kevin McCarthy last spring. It established discretionary spending caps for both defense and non-defense spending that if breached this year would trigger sequestration. Uh, sequestration will also be triggered if Congress fails to enact all 12 spending bills by the end of April. And so there is a looming threat ahead of us, but we are hoping, you know, with this announcement over the weekend that there's been a good faith effort by the new speaker and leader Schumer to reach an agreement that we're hopeful will avoid any of those sort of outcomes. Now, I will say this, uh, as we go forward, we do expect uh, so, some cuts ahead of us. Uh, as you may have heard, there's about $69 billion worth of rescissions and other budget mechanisms that were just announced. And while the details for those offsets aren't yet public, we've heard that about $20 billion will be uh, rescinded from the IRS from the Inflation Reduction Act. $6 billion will come from the Department of Health and Human Services from COVID-era programs. Fortunately, they will not be touching the Treasury-administered state and local fiscal recovery funds. Those are considered safe as of now here in D.C. and some other uh, costs elsewhere that will be made up. Now, there's a lot of work to do in January 19th, just around the corner, but we're hopeful that folks will be eager to draft legislation that can pass both chambers. One thing that remains to be seen is the fate of community project funding or congressionally directed spending requests that are known as earmarks. And we do have a request 
that was submitted by Congresswoman Lee still pending in the T-HUD spending bill for the year. That's the Transportation and Housing and Urban Development spending bill for your home key project at the Nimitz Hotel. So um, Speaker Johnson has not yet stated whether or not he will be willing to leave earmarks in this fiscal year 2024 budget. And as you know, typically at this point in the calendar year, we would be turning our focus to fiscal year 2025 appropriations and the submission of potential earmark requests for our delegation's consideration moving forward. But until we have a resolution on fiscal year 2024, lawmakers are not yet able to get there and they are not yet accepting requests for next year. So we will continue to keep you up to date on that. You know, Ms. Cavino, at this point in time, I'm going to say, take the next couple of minutes to wrap up your presentation. Absolutely. Moving on, I think a lot of the bandwidth uh, on the next slide, a lot of our bandwidth here in D.C. will be spent on the budget this year. There are some mass must-pass authorizations, including the FAA, National Flood Insurance Program, Water Resources Development Act, and the Farm Bill ahead of us. Moving on to the next slide, beyond those top priorities, Congress is, un is likely unable to make major compromises on big-ticket legislation, but we're hopeful that there may be some uh, momentum to address issues like real safety, housing and homelessness, and cannabis and banking reform later in the year. Moving on to the next slide. Of course, that is all complicated by the fact that 2024 is an election uh, year, and we have the primary season beginning next week with the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. Super Tuesday, including California, will be on March 5th, and the last state primary elections will be on June 4th. Moving on to the next slide. We'll look forward to seeing you all uh, here in Washington, D.C., hopefully before Tuesday, November 5th. You know how these elections go. And just a reminder, uh, winner will need to get to 270 votes. I will not make any predictions as of now. But moving on to the next slide, again, we'll look forward to seeing you here in Washington, D.C. or elsewhere around the country. Next week's the U.S. Conference of Mayors Winter Meeting. And then, of course, most of you will hopefully be in attendance at the National League of Cities Congressional City Conference here in March. With that, happy to take any questions you may have about federal affairs after my colleague's uh, next presentation. Thanks. Mr. DeLuca, we will turn to you as we bring up your slides. Thank you very much and good evening, Mayor and Council Members. My name is Nicolo DeLuca and it's an honor to be before you all this evening. Uh, we have a presentation prepared and I will be very respectful uh, to your time, uh, go into detail on some slides and others kind of work through. Um, next slide, please. I really want to thank the mayor, the council, the city manager, the deputy city manager for a great partnership this year. We had some really, really great wins. Um, our overview, we've been working with the city for nine years and very proud of all the results we've achieved together. Uh, next slide, please. Um, quick summary of the 2023 legislative session it adjourned on the 14th, and then the governor had 30 days to sign bills. A uh, record-breaking number of 1,046 bills hit the governor's desk. He signed 890. He vetoed 156. So you see what his veto um, to signage rate is. Next slide, please. The significant focus this past legislative session was on the state budget, revenue and taxation, housing and land use, behavioral health reform, fentanyl overdose prevention, next slide please, labor employee relations, governance and transparency, and then some leadership changes. 
next slide. So what I'm going to do is uh, some of these slides, I will uh, kind of give a quick overview of the rest. We'll get into a little bit more detail. The 2023 budget process was unlike one that I've ever seen and, and kind of one in the history of our state due to around this time last year, those significant storms delayed, they were given the um, delay on tax returns. So the state budget really wasn't decided until November because returns weren't due until October. So we kind of had a bit of a um, state budget uh, agreement that was waiting on some um, thresholds and some uh, other requirements and benchmarks. Some were met, others weren't. The next slide, please. Going into um, the 24 budget session, the governor is going to be giving his presentation on Wednesday about what he is proposing for the budget. We've already hearing discussion about a deficit, and as soon as the budget presentation is over, we'll, of course, share with city leadership what's going on. Some of the bills that we worked on with the city that are of, of importance includes ACA1, and I really want to thank the mayor and the deputy city manager for all their work on this, which, as you all know, ACA1 lowers the voter threshold to 55% for bonds and special taxes dedicated to affordable housing and other public infrastructure. That will go before the voters in November on the general election ballot. Next slide, please. Another important piece of legislation that made it through the ledge cycle uh, that's also going to be on the general election ballot in November is ACA 13. What this does is this requires an initiative constitutional amendment to comply with any increased voter approval threshold that it seeks to impose on future ballot measures and applies to statewide initiative measures that appear on the ballot on or after January 1st of this year. In simple terms, ACA 13 was a response to the California Business Roundtable initiative that's been circulated that seeks to request um, any local and state revenue measures have to go to 66%. So what ACA 13 says is, if you seek to change a constitutional amendment, the changes that you're seeking to, to get that threshold is what, that, what you need in order to pass. So ACA 13 is saying that if you want to change the threshold to 66%, that's what you need to get to. Next slide, please. Uh, very important to the city and to the county was the behavioral health reforms. Uh, the governor really led on that. And he, I would really say the two main pieces, and there's also some points that are very important to the city. SB 326 from Senator Eggman. That is the Mental Health Services Act policy reforms. That will be on the March ballot. In addition to that is also AB 531 from Assemblymember Irwin, which is a $6.3 billion bond to support residential care facility construction. That will also be on the March ballot. If approved, both measures could total up to $1.5 billion for cities and counties to use to help address mental health uh, issues and, of course, as a way to help address the unhoused. Next slide, please. Um, another important issue as it relates to mental health and behavioral health reform was Senator Eggman's bill SB 43, which expands the definition of gravely disabled. That's for the purposes of involuntarily detaining to include a severe substance use disorder or mental health disorder and is unable to additionally provide for personal safety or necessary medical care. 
governor signed that, and that's a, another focus as it relates to the in-house and mental health reform. Next slide, please. Um, now I'm kind of the next couple of slides. I'm just going to do the quick overview, leave it up there so you all can see. Uh, fentanyl overdose prevention was another focus of the legislature. AB 33 was signed into law. AB 701 was also signed into law. Next slide, please. Also on fentanyl overdose prevention was a new assembly select committee, an informational com uh, committee that seeks to get additional information and then recommendations on future legislation. Next slide, please. And then labor and employee relations, uh, two very big pieces of, of legislation signed, one that enacts a $20 minimum wage. Um, the other one establishes a healthcare employee minimum wage with various phase-ins. Finally, uh, AB 1484, this bill signed into law, it amends the Myers-Milius-Brown Act to require the inclusion of temporary employees in the same bargaining unit as permanent employees. Next slide, please. Um, governance and transparency, an important bill that was also signed was AB 557, which eliminates the sunset date uh, on provisions of law uh, allowing local agencies to use teleconferencing. Next slide. Uh, AB 1637 requires cities and counties that maintain websites to utilize a .gov or ca.gov domain by January 1 of 29. Next slide. All right, so we have some leadership changes. We have a new speaker and we have a new pro tem that's been announced. So the new speaker is Assemblymember Robert Rivas. He's already made some very important committee um, appointments. And then Senator uh, Mike McGuire will be sworn in officially the earlier part of February. Uh, I was fortunate enough to have dinner with both of these gentlemen last week. They're both um, cover part of the Bay Area. So it's pretty cool that the speaker uh, and the pro tem will be looking out for many Bay Area interests. So that's obviously great for us. Next slide, please. State budget earmark, really, really, really want to tip my cap to Assemblymember Ortega, her staff, and of course, city staff. Very, very excited about the $2.5 million request that we submitted and was um, signed into law for the Nimitz Motel. Next slide. And then also the priority funding award for the $9 million for the Nimitz Motel for the Home Key Program. And I really do want to lift up what Mr. Engelbart said. Having that clear direction from council last year on the top focus of being the Nimitz was very, very helpful when it came to focusing our individual attentions on some really quality resources and some great partnerships. Next slide. All right, looking forward, what are we looking like it's going to happen this legislative year? Well, another uh, proposed deficit. However, you know, the big, the real important date is really in May, the May revise to see what those numbers look like. As I mentioned earlier, the governor will do his budget presentation should be on Wednesday the 10th, and that kicks off the budget process. Uh, three statewide ballot measures already, the ACA 13, the ACA one, and then the rent caps. Uh, currently, there's two, three state bonds that are active because they first need to be in legislative form before they can go to the ballot. One's a climate bond, another is a housing bond, the third's the education bond. Uh, on behalf of the city, we've been actively involved in getting some really good language in the climate bond and the housing bond to help protect, get funding for new parks, natural resources, and of course, more funding for affordable housing. So that's another priority focus for us this year. Next slide, please. 
Um, so the state legislature more than likely should maintain their focus on climate resiliency, governance and transparency, homelessness and behavioral health, housing and greater access, public safety, which could include uh, retail theft, and then transportation and infrastructure. Next slide, please. So that's a, a summary of 23 and 24. Excited for another great year of partnership with this city and happy to answer any questions you all may have. So thank you for, thank you both for your presentations. At this point in time, we'll take clarifying questions from council members. Go to our public for public comment on our legislative platform. And we'll come back for our thoughts and any suggestions, expansions, changes in wording, et cetera. So first, our questions. Councilmember Azevedo, please. Thanks, Ms. Covina and Mr. DeLuca for your presentations. Yeah, I have a couple of questions for Mr. DeLuca. Um, first, on slide nine, the behavioral health reform package. It... um. He, Governor Newsom signed two of the bills into, so, so signed them into law. So what what's actually on the ballot? The uh, great question, Councilmember. So on the ballot is what was SB three two six, which is the policy reforms to the Mental Health Services Act, also known as the Billionaires Tax. The other one was AB five three one, which is actual bond to approve the bond for more beds and housing for uh, the unhoused and the those that need need mental health. If I recall correctly, one of them is going to be Prop 1, and I forget, I'll check and get back to you on what the other proposition is. Okay. My other question is on slide 13, AB 1228. Um, and it enacts a $20 minimum wage for covered workers in exchange for the withdrawal of a pending referendum on landmark legislation. Um, what Which covered workers are we talking about? Are we... Talking about fast food workers? or Correct. This is for fast food workers. As you recall, there is a legislation from a couple of years ago, AB 257, and then there was a signature gathering that sought to undercut that. So this was really a, um, for lack of a better word, a compromise as it relates to fast food workers. Okay, so that's going to apply in San Leandro for all fast food workers in San Leandro? Still? Statewide, correct. Statewide. Okay, thank you. That's all my questions. Thank you. Councilmember Blue, please. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Jennifer and Nico. Nic Nicolo, can, um, the question is for you, but it's really not for you. It's forever has control of the PowerPoint slide. Can you put up the last slide that says what the legislator is considering? Legislature is considering. I know we got these, I, I, the PowerPoint slides. I don't remember seeing that. It's possible I did and just didn't do it. The one right before that. Just give me one second, and then that'll be my only uh, follow-up question, Mr. Mayor. Thank you. At this point in time, I'll go to Councilmember Bowen, please. Thank you, Mayor. Is my mic on? Great. Thank you, Jen and Nicole, for the presentations. Um, Jen, I wanted to ask you a question. This I'm very fortunate. This is the second meeting today I've had with Jen about um, some of the um, the news from DC. Uh, can you speak more to the Safe Streets grant and also the um, rail safety funding and how the city of San Leandro could potentially um, piggyback off of the work that ACTC has been doing? 
Sure. And I should just, um, again, once again, acknowledge um, city staff for their efforts that culminated in, in the recent uh, earmark award uh, provided by Congresswoman Barbara Lee focused on your Vision Zero efforts there. That's a $4 million earmark, I believe we got about a year ago at this point in time. But shifting gears, of course, you know, I, understanding Vision Zero's, the, the needs are citywide. There is the Safe Streets and Roads for All grant program, which has been authorized $5 billion in appropriated funds over five years. So a billion dollars per round, uh, $3 billion remains available for future rounds. And the, the pots are divided into both planning grants as well as implementation or construction funding for Vision Zero plans that have been approved by cities. Um, just wanting to alert you to the fact that the next application round is going to open in February of 2024. We already have that word from, from DOT. And so the department wants to see uh, safety projects, planning and demonstration activities at the local level that will uh, help prevent deaths or serious injuries. And so there's also a need for community engagement. So Again, that is just around the corner, and uh, you know the city is authorized to go out on its own here in terms of eligibility. Cities, town transit agencies, special districts, counties, metropolitan planning organizations are all directly eligible. So the city could apply. I will say, in terms of the grand scheme of federal grant applications, it, this is a little bit more straightforward than some of the other programs uh, we typically see. Now, moving on to real safety programs. There are actually three or four different programs administered by Federal Railroad Administration. Uh, and over the months ahead, we do expect solicitations for those rounds of funding to become available. Now, with some of those grant programs, cities may not be the natural direct applicant. Uh, there may be a need to coordinate either with regional interests or with uh, you know, the, the railroads themselves. But where there are opportunities such as the Railroad Crossing Elimination Program, we expect FRA to put out those solicitations again over the months ahead. Railroad crossing elimination will become open, we believe, in the month of August of this year. So a bit more time to plan. There are other opportunities such as the CRISI or the InfraGrant program where grade separation projects are also eligible, where city might have some eligibility. But again, given um, you know the, the technical expertise there, sometimes we might recommend that uh, you know some of your regional partners take a lead if they are doing some countywide uh, efforts to begin with. So happy to follow up with you if you're interested in any of those funding opportunities. And again, we do have three more rounds of funding uh, for the city to take advantage of as the implementation of the bipartisan infrastructure law moves forward. Thanks so much, Jen, for that. And you know, I, I to to respond to um, Eric's comment, I, I think that really, truly trying to reach vision, vision zero and trying to go after these funds is really important. Um, I think that when we talk about public safety, this is a huge a critical piece of that. So I appreciate that. Um, and then, Nicola, I have a, a follow-up question to Councilmember Azevedo's um, clarification about the minimum wage. What is the timeline for that? You know what? That is a great question, Council Member. Uh, let me get you an answer. Um, so let me get you an answer because I know it was into phases. Thank you. At this point in time, we'll go to Vice Mayor Simon. Thank you for your presentation. A quick question from the state side. From a funding perspective, in 2020, there was a Proposition 15 to tax commercial industrial properties um, for government funding, and I know it failed. 
Uh, but to me, it always seemed like a large pot of money there that has gone un underutilized for our cities. And we've got a lot of projects, of course, we need funded. Has there any, been any discussions or any talks in, in revamping that and bringing that back and better educating the public and what that proposition really was? Absolutely, Councilmember. Great question. That I remember was very, very close at the ballot. Um, there has been some discussion about bringing that legisl legislation back. We are currently in the second year of a two-year cycle, which means bills have a bit of a harder time getting through uh, if they haven't moved through in the first year. So there has been some discussion. The legislature has until February 15th to introduce bills for this year. So my, from the feedback I've gotten, I heard that'd be more of a next year piece of legislation to build up time for a coalition, education, what have you. I am happy to talk to many of the contacts that we have within the Capitol, legislative leadership and others to get a sense and the report back. However, a bill of that nature, which needs to go to the ballot traditionally is the first year of a two-year cycle, will also have a better sense by February 15th of what's introduced. Thank you. And my next question is a federal question. Um, I was researching online a little bit about ferries. Uh, we've had some interest here in dredging of our marina for ferry access and then uh, energy efficient ferries. There's a lot of discussions and conferences going on on that. Was there any um, information that we can share on potential dredging opportunities or uh, something like that to help revamp our ferry access for our marina? Sure, so on two fronts. Uh, first on ferry service itself, um, we've, ha we've had the conversation with the city several times over the years, um, just calling your attention to the fact that the Federal Transit Administration does have a passenger ferry grant program under section 5307 of the US code. Uh, but the, the one caveat with that is the fact that eligibility is limited to um, eligible direct recipients of the 5307 funds, uh, states or federally recognized tribes that operate public ferry systems. And so when it comes to funding for ferry service itself, uh, we, we strongly encourage you all to have a conversation with those providers there in the region um, to coordinate with them and to definitely, to the, to the extent possible, pursue partnership opportunities. Because again, federal funding is available, but it's gonna go to those designated recipients from Federal Transit Administration. Uh, on the dredging itself, over the past few years, uh, given sort of the supply chain bottlenecks we've seen here in the United States, one thing I will say is uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law did provide a robust investments for the nation's port infrastructure. And as an aside to that, the, the biannual Water Resources Development Act, which governs authorities uh, overseen by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, is another funding opportunity where, uh, you know, ports have access for dredging, et cetera. One thing I will say is uh, the Continuing Authorities Program is the Army Corps' Uh, you know, sort of hallmark uh, opportunity for units of local government to seek some federal resources for various activities, including dredging. But given the supply chain issues that the country experienced over the past few years, what I will say is the administration has tended to prioritize that funding 
for navigation and dredging at the, the nation's deep water ports, uh, such as Seattle and Tacoma, down at Long Beach, uh, over on the East Coast, you know, Savannah and, and, and so on. And so what I will say is there were, were plenty of resources that became available, but those have been largely um, sort of held in line for some of the ports that are overseeing, you know, the commercial activities that um, promote our economic competitiveness on a global stage. So to the extent dredging being prioritized for local channels, um, just we're, we're not seeing sort of the same level of interest in that at the federal level. But again, if there are opportunities to align it with continuing authorities, um, the continuing authorities program at the Army Corps, there are some new eligibilities particularly related to climate resiliency and uh, sea level change. And so there may be opportunities there. But again, for the most part, we are seeing the prioritization toward the, the, those ports. But please let me know if, if we can help you navigate sort of any of those conversations with either the Corps or again with the Federal Transit Administration for ferry service. Thank you. Quick follow-up. I thought I heard you mention recipients of recognized tribes receive funding for ferry or do you are you aware of any tribes that are receiving funding for ferry service federal yeah so i believe up in either alaska and or washington state i i know i've overheard conversations i'm not aware of any recipients of of uh, the previous round of funding that was announced but i believe there are at least uh, a few federally recognized tribes that do run ferry service in the pacific northwest thank you uh, Vice, let's see, we've got Councilmember Aguilar. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, Nicolo, and thank you, Jen, for your for your presentation. And, uh, you know, I, thank you for your advocacy on, you know, advocating for funding for our navigation center. Jen, you mentioned, you know, last year we went to D.C. to advocate for some earmark funding, and you mentioned that um, the funding is basically on hold um, because of the current situation with, with Congress. Um, when, when we head over to D.C. Uh, in March to go advocate, what, I mean, where, where are we basically at and, and who do we need to to chat with or what is going, to, what, what's happening in Congress that will basically um, either halt or release the funds that we're, we've been, the earmark funds for the navigation that we've been advocating for? Sure. So the good news is the city does have $1 million that was secured in the Transportation and Housing and Urban Development Spending Bill, the House Pass version of it. The good news is that THUD bill is included in the first batch of, of bills that will expire on January 19th. So we hope that Congress over the immediate days ahead is working toward a bicameral resolution on that bill. Now, what I will say is, again, January 19th is the first deadline. If for any reason they kick the can down the road to the next deadline, that's February 2nd. So again, hopefully a resolution's on the horizon before you all even get to town in March. It, in terms of who might we advocate uh, with at that point in time, really this is above the pay grades of even our delegation. It's a three-way conversation between Biden, Schumer, and Johnson at that point in time. One thing I will say is Speaker Johnson has actually demonstrated uh, a willingness to engage in the community project funding request process, but his participation in his district has been limited to military construction projects. And so it remains to be seen when they need to make these spending cuts, if basically 
all earmark requests will make it in or if none will make it in. That's sort of what we understand as being the landscape going forward. And so again, um, the, the fortunate news is you have thousands of project sponsors who will all be advocating for earmarks to be included. And I know that heading into an election cycle, members of the House of Representatives would like to celebrate some victories before November. So um, I'm hopeful. One thing I will say is um, Appropriations Chairwoman Kay Granger, who's a Republican from Texas, has announced she is resigning from Congress at the end of, of this session. And she did so immediately following some tension with the speaker, the new speaker uh, in guiding sort of governance going forward for the caucus. And so we're all collectively wondering if he expressed um, some level of discontentment with the appropriations process in earmarks. But again, I think everyone is trying to get them done this cycle so that we have a next cycle where hopefully by March you're bringing new projects to the table. and We've got that million dollars going to the city already. Thank you for that. And hopefully San Leandro gets to, you know, be part of the congressional championship where we get some funding from from Congress. Uh, my, my other question is, you know, with regards to uh, dredging uh, and, and adding ferry service to San Leandro and working, uh, is there any way that we can work with the Water Emergency Transportation Authority, a.k.a. WADA? Yeah, so if, if they're in receipt of the 5307 funds, and I believe they are a designated recipient, they can apply for service to serve the community. Now, of course, that's all lobbying that would need to take place at the local level, but that's the best place to be having the conversation is with your regional partners that provide ferry service. So definitely recommend you getting in touch with them. And again, if, if you need us to engage at any point in time, we're happy to do so. And also with... Excuse me, with regards to um, housing in San Leandro, we're working on rent stabilization, and eventually we may need to put together, you know, we have a, uh, uh, we eventually will need a rent review board um, to help with, you know, with, with processes and procedures. Is that something, funding that we can advocate for at the federal level to help fund um, rent, rent review? That would be more tricky. Um, there are certain programs where we might find an access in terms of the program. We would need to define sort of eligible uses. Off the top of my head, I would say there isn't there isn't one source intended solely for that purpose. But what I will say is with some of the fiscal cliffs ahead of us related to um, eviction prevention and rental assistance, um, I do think that there is a, a deep conversation going on around federal housing policy at large. And so if there are opportunities for new programs or for policy reforms to take place that would better empower you all to fund those types of activities, we are here and actively engaged in some of the ongoing discussions around housing policy. So happy to consider, you know, if if there are any additions to the platform going forward for the year ahead, uh, happy to help navigate those solutions. Wonderful. Thank you. And this next question is for uh, Nicola. This is my last question. Uh, Nicola, is there, you know, to, to promote more housing for disabled veterans uh, and LGBTQ folks, I know that there are some developers who are willing to partner with local cities. Um, is there uh, any way that we can help advocate for for either veteran housing or LGBTQ senior housing in San Leandro next to uh, transportation? Absolutely. And Councilmember, earlier this morning, 
Uh, I was on an email with a couple of Assembly Housing Committee staffers about some potential legislation, uh, which could be developer-certified um, efforts to make it easier for developers to be ready to go to access some of these you know, local, regional, state funds as it relates to uh, different types of housing. Um, the housing bond would be a great opportunity where we could weigh in. We'd work with the city manager and, and mayor and, and team on submitting a letter to Assemblywoman Buffy Wicks, who used to be the chair of Assembly Housing, who's now the appropriations chair. She's the author um, of the uh, housing bond. So there's still an opportunity to submit requests for amendments or to greater detail specific funding pots that we'd recommend stay in the housing bond or be built out or even be included. So yes, absolutely, there'd be some, there's some timing uh, to do so um, on that. And happy to partner with Eric and the rest of the team to craft a letter and submit that to Assembly Member Wicks. Wonderful, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your, for your presentation. Great job, those are my questions. And if I could also just answer Assembly, or sorry, Council Member Bowen's question about the fast food uh, about AB 1228 when it goes into effect. The answer is a $20 minimum wage goes into effect April 1st of this year. And then for uh, the increase, which would could be up to 3.5%, that would go into effect the first uh, January 1st of the following years. Okay, so I've got a couple of questions that haven't already been covered by my council members. First, um, for Nicolo, if you could talk a little bit more about SB 43, you had popped up some language about um, expanding the definition of grave, gravely disabled. And I don't know if we can either reshare that or if you can just kind of read that a little bit and help us understand what, what that means as a practical matter for our city. Absolutely. So Mayor, SB 43 from Senator Eggman was changing the definition of gravely disabled. It was an effort she had underway for about three or four years. And it's really for the purposes of detaining an individual based on a severe substance disorder or a mental health disorder where they're not able to take care of their own self. Uh, they're putting themselves in harm's way. They're harming themselves or they're not in an ability to um, take care of themselves properly. There was many, this bill was highly contested. There was some concern about how can you uh, ensure that someone who might not be of sound body and mind ends up in the right place. I think over the years, that place would have been prison. Certainly, there's been an effort over the years to reduce various um, charges and uh, prison crowding. And so this was really a, a clear way of addressing those kind of acute circumstances that unfortunately many of us have seen where there's someone that you just tell that they are not in the right frame of mind and they need help. Um, so what does help look like? Help is now how do you define someone that's gravely disabled where authorities are then able to say, hey, you know what, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to detain you, whether it's three days or five days or what have you. And it would be at a mental health um, hospital to at least give them an assessment and understand maybe ways of treating them. SB 40. To be really clear, this doesn't require any further vote. It's not a constitutional amendment. It's just it's just an update to that definition, the statute. And separate from that is the expansion of the the, the vote in November 
to potentially pass a statewide bond to expand the number of mental health beds, to expand the number of facilities. Is that correct? That is uh, 100% correct, except not November. It's going to be in March. So even March. sooner to have the bond for the beds and the um, care facilities. And then in addition, the tweaking of the billionaire's tax to free up more funding for cities and counties along those lines to help address the, the mentally um, ill and those that need help. So Perfect. correct. And then a question for Jen. So I know that um, you know, there's a lot of fanfare around the Inflation Reduction Act last year. And in particular, one of the, uh, I'll just call them clever uh, funding mechanisms is this kind of analogy to tax credits, but rather for governments. Obviously, governments don't pay taxes. And so the concept of a tax credit was morphed. So can you just talk a little bit about this? Because I know we've had about a year to think about it. Treasury I spent some time thinking about it and just make us a little smarter so that we can uh, perhaps avail ourselves this year. Sure thing. And what I will say is the Inflation Reduction Act was such a comprehensive piece of legislation that it has taken the administration some time to promulgate regulations in support of uh, implementing some of those provisions. So we actually just got pre-filing registration instructions uh, from the IRS about how local governments can go about pre-filing and receiving a six-month automatic extension for filing your tax forms. Uh, but generally speaking, the, the IRA makes clean energy tax credits available to both state, local, and tribal governments, tax-exempt organizations, businesses, other entities, and individuals. And it's known as either elective pay or direct pay. So if you hear those two terms, uh, they mean the same thing. And there's about a dozen tax credits for clean energy that might be of interest to a unit of local government. It includes a production tax credit for electricity from renewables. That includes wind, biomass, geothermal, solar, small irrigation, landfill, trash, hydropower, marine, or hydrokinetic energy. That's a cr credit provided um, for production of those renewables. There's a clean electricity production tax credit, an investment tax credit for energy properties, for renewable energy projects, including fuel cells, solar, geothermal, small wind, energy storage, biogas, microgrid controllers, or combined heat and power properties. As an example, that credit amount would be equal to 6% of your qualified investment. But if certain prevailing wage and apprenticeship requirements are met, that could be a credit of 30%. And you'll see there's, there's these PWA, prevailing wage and apprenticeship rules, that are applicable to several of these credits where you can you know, really increase the amount of the credit. There's a, tech, tech, um, a clean electricity investment tax credit, a low-income community bonus credit, for small scale or wind or clean electricity facilities that are included on either federally subsidized housing in low income communities or on Indian lands that benefit low income households. That credit amount is 10 or 20 percentage points increase on your base investment tax credit. There's a credit for carbon oxide sequestration, uh, nuclear power. Uh, I, I'm really excited about the commercial clean vehicles tax credit. For any uh, passenger vehicles, buses, ambulance, and other uh, vehicles for use on public streets, roads, and highways, up to a max of 7,500 for light vehicles, 
or 40,000 for heavy duty vehicles. Treasury is a little bit behind. We're hoping for a, a master list of vehicles that qualify over the weeks ahead. There's an alternative fuel refueling property credit, a clean hydrogen production, a clean fuel production credit. Again, there's a lot of, of different nuances for each of these different credits. But uh, what I will say is, you know, our, our business is, is working for local governments. We have some municipal uh, clients that have gone through their capital improvement plans over the next five years and identified cost savings of up to $13 million over that five-year window for infrastructure they were going to fund anyway. So, um, uh, you know, I'm encouraging all local governments to get smart on this and look forward to, to supporting um, you and city administrators if there is interest in seeking out any of these tax credits for some of the good work that you're already planning on doing over the years ahead. And when I'm back there in Washington for the mayor's conference, let's let's carve out a little bit of time. Yes. Specifically talk about this because this strikes me as potentially free money for something that we might already be planning to do. Yes, Mayor. And there's actually a session on the Conference of Mayor's agenda for next week that I would encourage you uh, to, to attend. And I know that myself or my staff will also be in attendance to get smarter on this issue. Perfect. Thank you. At this point in time, we're going to move to public comment. I seem to recall you had three cards. Is that correct? We have four cards. Do we have any online uh, attendees that would like to comment? And this is the time to raise your hand if you're interested in commenting during public comment, either online or in person. I see no hands raised online, so we will take no more comments from online and we'll take our four cards here in the room. Sahana? Um, hi, my name is Sahana. I'd just like to praise the council for a little bit for doing such a great job at ignoring the biggest issue at hand. Um, thank you for having so much blood on your hands. Thank you for completely ignoring the situation in Gaza. Thank you for showing us where your loyalties lie. Thank you for showing us that you have no hearts, no souls. Thank you for showing me how much blood you guys have on your hands to the, to the point where you guys can't allow public comment for a genocide happening. Um, that's a little bit crazy to me, considering you guys are double my age, triple my age, yet you let someone that's 15 years old have two times more of a soul than you do. And that's really disappointing to me. So free Palestine forever. Thank you. Sophia? Um, everything that Sahana said, beautiful. Appreciate it. Um, though this is a work period, um, you guys just, I'm here to remind you that there's still um, a war happening. There are still children dying. There's still blood on your hands. Those flags that you guys so deeply stand for. San Leandro stands united against hate. There's so much hate in the world that you guys are just ignoring. A city where kindness matters. Um, that's... I haven't seen that yet, to be honest. I've been ignored in this room, in these chambers. I've been disrespected in these chambers. Um, so I haven't really seen any of it, to be honest. But, And it's truly saddening to know that you guys are older and 
you guys still don't do nothing for something that's so sad and that we have tried to educate you guys on, but you guys have completely ignored us so many times. And it's, it's just wild. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Christian? Yeah, pretty much to echo what they said. It's pretty sad that you can stand here and just do nothing. We've came to three different council meetings, and every time the crowd goes just smaller and smaller because no one has faith in our elected officials anymore. I'm glad that it's an election year because I'm sure I won't be seeing some of you in here anymore. Um, I do want to mention that in New Haven, they passed a, a ceasefire resolution. Although it is a school board, they used our city council as um, as an example of what not to do, of how not to treat your youth. Right when the youth got there, they said that they should put public comment first. Um, it was pretty disheartening to hear that. It took 30 minutes when you kept us right here for four hours just to walk off at the end of your meeting without giving any input. It's always going to be a free Palestine until it's backwards. Um, yeah, it's pretty sad. Thank you. Thank you. Darlene Evans? Hmm. 2018, the year that I sold my duplex, a sign went up on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 250-foot wide um, asphalt um, thing. It has a for sale sign. Across the street in another city, there is senior housing. There is senior housing across this. You'd mentioned about housing, federal funds. I have for three years tried to get after the church to clean up the thing. I think it's time that they sell it because before it was Roseville. Now it has 916 area code. I forgot if it was Simon or somebody said that the church asked so much money. The presiding bishopric is in charge of land in essence in the church. And I think a letter from the city council saying we need this for low-income housing for seniors, such as the woman who keeps coming 20 years to talk to us and had to sell her duplex because she wasn't going to have a job that would be $4,000 to sell, not to sell. That would be the property tax. And the man who's in his 90s and she's in her 70s, his property taxes are 1,500 and he has 21 properties. I think our laws on housing and Proposition 13 have to be seriously looked at and researched. I can find the research because I know he started buying it in 1944. But I know my sewer is just as much capacity as his, and we were only a half a block away. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, there's no more public comment. So at this point in time, I'll close public comment and go back to council members, see if there's any uh, modifications, suggestions to the legislative platform, either at the federal level or state level. Or, or be happy to take a motion to adopt as is. So Council Member Bowen. Yeah, I have a few um, additions I would like to be considered for um, both the state and the federal 
legislative platforms. And um, is, is Jen and Nicola still on? Are they still online? Yes, yep, we are. Great. And I, I actually went through and worked off of the state one and a lot of it scaffolds up to the the, the federal um, platform. And so I think there might be some um, overlap within them. And I, I don't know if we need to go one by one at either of them, but just a general understanding of, of some of the things that I wanted to be able to add to it. Um, I'm going to ask you to hold for just a second. So the city manager, deputy city manager, I know that you're working, you will work to actually craft the final language. Would it be sufficient for us to give you the high-level points and then you tuck it into federal and state appropriately? Is that sufficient guidance? Yes, yes Mayor. Great. So I will just throw out some of my first draft ones and then you all can work your magic. Um, under Under housing, land use, and environmental protection, um, I, I, whether it's underneath affordable housing or a new section, but I really wanted to uplift um, housing for working families as well. And, and that really is the idea of supporting legislative actions programs and funding like the Housing Choice Voucher Program that supports housing for working families so that they have access to vital resources like jobs, childcare, and social services. Um, and then under transportation, public works, and technology, and it may not bundle underneath there, but I really wanted to uplift as a priority also supporting pedestrian safety, so support efforts to address pedestrian fatalities and safety, increase crosswalks, the work that we have been doing around Vision Zero, but really calling that out as a priority. Um, and then under law enforcement and public safety, I wanted to acknowledge um, effective accountable policing, so supporting regulatory efforts and the appropriation of funds to protect the public and ensure fair and impartial justice for all through um, effective accountable policing. So supporting at the federal level, um, the Safer for America plan, um, as well as investing in crime prevention and budget proposals and grants that provide technical assistance to departments that ask for help to reform their, their practices and build trust and de-escalation and anti-bias training. Um, and then I also, under libraries section, I wanted to add um, new technologies, so supporting administrative actions or legislation that promotes the development and application of new technologies and advancements in, tele in telecommunications that increase access to information, encourages resource sharing among all types of libraries, promotes digital literacy and workforce development, and quality library and information services. And finally, under health and human services, I wanted to call out um, supporting early childhood policy and youth engagement and the care infrastructure. Um, and so this is really focused on supporting funding opportunities and legislation that will increase access to high quality childcare, such as the Child Care Development Block Grant to find tuition subsidies for families, pediatric well child visits, meals and staff training and increase the availability of childcare centers. Um, and the last one, um, I'm, and I believe it also under health and human services, um, last year, actually, at, at the um, when we were in D.C., Dr. Biden spoke about the farm bill and uh, an emphasis on food access and funding coming down to be able to support cities um, and municipalities around that. And so I wanted to find a way to also include um, supporting funding opportunities and legislation to support equitable access for food for all um, in San Leandro. Thank you. Uh, Vice Mayor Simon, please. Uh, thank you. I had a, a comment on the federal 
platform. And I was kind of looking at I was looking at the state platform and, <clears throat> and I see we have information there. One of our points there is uh, recycled water. Yet I don't see that on the federal side. And I wanted to kind of match our federal such that we would be seeking grants to support uh, the use of non-potable uh, recycled water. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I don't have anything for the actual legislative lobbyist information. I just forgot. I needed to thank uh, Jen Cavino and just make a shout out to the public. You know, there's times where we're not working on anything specific, but we have an idea and she is a resource for your council to reach out to in Washington, D.C. She's probably the most knowledgeable person I know in the Washington, D.C. area on anything federal. Jen, I wanted to thank you when I reached out about a month ago asking you about something. And you had sound advice that I thought was the case, but just hearing it from you validated my thinking and caused me to take a, go in a different direction with my thoughts. And I really appreciate that. It's always great to be able to just reach out to an expert, to someone who's in the field, to someone who's speaking the language and speaking to everyone back there and uh, get a straightforward, quick response. And I also wanted to say congratulations because I think this is the first year I've seen your name in the title of your company. Thank you. Thank you, council member. <laughs> so seeing no other hands, I'll take the opportunity to offer a few thoughts. First and foremost, thank you to both of you for the great work that you do for us. I think, you know, the, the proof is in the pudding. We see the results financially. We see the education that you offer us. We see the ideas that you bring to us. And so thank you very much for all of the support that you provide us. Um, in terms of very specific recommendations, I think I have discussed these already with a deputy city manager, but just to make sure that they're on the record, uh, I am concerned and have been concerned for a while, spoke at uh, Oakland Airport General Management about the selling of leaded aviation fuel. I think that should stop, period, full stop. No one should be flying a plane over San Leandro spewing lead onto our school sites, onto our residences and the like, period. There's an EPA recent finding, the dangers of aviation, leaded, leaded aviation fuel. I think we need to push hard on the FAA to just stop the sale, period. No, no more discussion, just stop the sale. We will continue the pressure that we're placing on Oakland Airport in that regard. And this is really not subject to a lot of debate or discussion. Uh, something that's a little bit broader, though, we've talked for a while about rails and the possible use of converting rails into trails and the greenway. I think that we should be explicit in our platform, just promoting um, th that type of program and trying to avail ourselves of that program. Because we do have a number of, of abandoned uh, railways, here, railroad uh, tracks and pathways here in San Leandro, and to more effectively convert those into ways that we can turn those into pedestrian and bicycle throughways and expand our network uh, that we've been talking about for a number of years. Number three, where we talk, we do talk about dredging, but our language is very specific to recreational marinas. I think that we should be very explicit um, to Councilmember Aguilar's point and this interest that we've had for a while around water transit alternatives. 
that we should view the space down there the way that uh, Genentech was trying to have ferry service across uh, the peninsula, to be very purposeful and say we want to facilitate that to take cars off of the road and to make it easier for East Bay uh, commuters to access those areas. Those The areas of the whole biotech region there is among the most difficult places to access from this region in the East Bay. And so I think that supporting that connectivity between the peninsula and the East Bay is particularly important in light of some of the vision work about creating an extra bore for BART heading into downtown San Francisco. And if there's to be another bridge to be built, it's connecting Oakland and San Francisco. So I think that we need to be advocating as a city for the diversification of transportation. Everything should not be between Oakland and San Francisco. It should be uh, broader and that we should be in that mix, particularly since that connectivity is right by the Oakland airport. And then on the state side, just listening a little bit to what we heard about the expansion of the definition of gravely disabled, I think we should continue to push on the role of conservatorships. I think we are all aware of residents who are, by any objective measure, unable to take care of themselves, uh, whether it's because of severe mental illness, whether it's uh, substance abuse or chemical dependency, whatever terminology we want to use, they are unable to make the decisions that help them house themselves, keep themselves employed. And, uh, and we need to have that mechanism to really take care of our most needy in society. And so just promoting this concept of the uh, a balanced use of conservatorships, because we know they create inherently, they bring risks. But bringing that balance, I think, would be uh, very important. And so those, those are my additions. And I'm assuming, city manager, that from what you've heard and some of the words that we have in there already, you guys can tweak what we've got. Looking around my council, I see council member Blue with one more thought. Yes. I have an announcement before you adjourn. Very important announcement. I know it's out of order to normally do that, but I would like like 10 seconds of your time before we adjourn, please. Okay. Um, seeing nothing else on this item, I will go ahead and close this item and turn to Council Member Blue for your announcement. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I just wanted to let the community and my colleagues know that we lost a, a friend of the public and a friend of uh, Public Safety Officer Tuan Lay. And, and the watch was December 29, 2023 in Oakland. His uh, memorial service will be held Wednesday, this Wednesday at 10 a.m. at the Three Crosses Church, the neighborhood church. Everybody is invited. Thank you. At this point in time, seeing no further discussion, I will adjourn us at 8.23.